Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're joined by two guests, the creators of the Super Bracket Bros podcast. Super Bracket Bros is a podcast where each season, 16 fictional characters go head-to-head in a single elimination tournament to determine who the true champion is. The brothers have hosted four full tournaments and are currently ramping up for season five. Season five's theme is giant characters. So, of course, they've got all your favorite huge fellas, from Godzilla to Bowser's Fury to Mega Dragons. Zord. They have guests on almost every episode, including Joey and I on occasion. Start listening now so you can figure out who will be crowned champion in season five. The first of the brothers I'm going to introduce right now, his favorite character is Dennis Nedry and is fully convinced he did nothing wrong. Welcome back to Affable Chat, Elias Stokes. (laughs) Hey guys, happy to be on. Happy to defend my boy. (laughs) (laughs) And our second guest, his full real legal name is Jameson Rex Davis. Welcome back to Affable Chat, Jay. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm uh, excited to be on today. And we've brought them here today because we're talking about Jurassic Park. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. This is an American family science fiction suspense thriller, Dino Frenzy. Directed by Steven Spielberg. The cast includes Monogatron leader, Dr. Uh, Ian Malcolm, Stepmommy from the Taylor Swift Bejeweled music video, 34th Street Chris Kringle, Marine officer from Lord of the Flies, the second motel clerk from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, more like Ray Armold, am I right? White Rose. Mindy Sterngood, and Big Al from Big Al's Toy Barn. I watched this movie on Peacock Plus or whatever it's called. Uh, (laughs) Peacock Premium, I think. Premium, okay. Uh, How how did you watch it, Joey? I watched it on Peacock as well, or as I like to refer to it as The Cock. cock. (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) Eli, how did you watch this movie? I too... (laughs) <laughs> was on the cock. <laughs> Jay, were you on the cock? I, I, I was not. Uh, no, I watched this on authentic, real Blu-ray DVD, gentlemen. Whoa. Wow. Physical medium. Physical I love it. media. A hard copy, if you yeah, will. Look at this guy. Thinks he's too cool for the cock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, before we begin our conversation about Jurassic Park, we will recap the events in a synopsis that was written by Joey. Uh, Joey, get us started. The cage was moving. This was their chance. As their enemy, Muldoon, shouted, Joffrey, raise the gate! They attacked. As gunshots rang out in every direction, they dragged Joffrey into the cage, ripping him to pieces. If the humans insisted on keeping them trapped, then those shaved apes would suffer the consequences. They were meant to be free! Locked in a small enclosure in the center of the island, these legendary beasts from the distant past waited patiently. Every day they were fed live meat, and they demonstrated their power by destroying the flimsy delivery apparatus. Strong electric currents ran through the perimeter of their cage. It had already been tested for weaknesses. 
Eventually, the humans would slip, and they would have their chance. Above, they could hear talking. New, unfamiliar voices, filled with awe and concern. At least someone around here appreciated the danger they represented. It began to rain. Something was different about this storm. It was full of energy, whipping the trees around them. Tension hung thick in the air. But the fences stayed intact and shockingly restrained until they weren't. With a roar and a jump, they tore through the weak metal that contained them and escaped into the wider island. Again, patience was key. There was plenty to hunt on this island, but there was something specific they were waiting for. A lone human, wearing metal and glass on his face and smelling of burnt ash, revealed himself, heading for another enclosure. They waited until he was inside and then struck. They tore him to shreds. The biggest piece left was an arm. They knew others would follow. Humans weren't quick learners. Soon a female and their enemy Muldoon appeared, again slinking toward the enclosure. Muldoon sensed something was up. He was a hunter after all. But not today. Today, he would be prey. The female ran to the enclosure, successfully making it inside. Muldoon stood his ground, keeping a careful eye on his surroundings. But not careful enough. While he stared down one of them, another emerged from the bushes. With an admission of their superior intellect, he died. Screaming. The thick wires are similar to the thick vines in the remaining beast's home, which make it the perfect hiding place. The female human never saw them coming, but she escaped anyway by the skin of her teeth. But humans, so predictable, she led them straight to her young. Inside the big building, they stalked the two young humans. They could smell their primate fear, but in a room of reflective surfaces and drastic temperatures, the children escaped. Deep inside the building, the remaining humans huddled in fear. The apes fastened the heavy door, but it was no match for our heroes. They sprung through the glass and chased their prey into the ceiling. At one point, one of them wears a human like a hat. It was easy to follow the humans, but they managed to escape again, slipping from their jaws. Finally... They had their prey cornered. They were circling, ready to pounce, when out of nowhere a larger predator appeared, snatching them up one by one and eating its fill. The humans escaped. For now. The end. There you have it. The events of Jurassic Park. Uh, you know, Just as, as we all remember them. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. This is, uh, this is so, Jurassic Park one and a half. <laughs> so now that we remember all the things that happened in this movie, we will begin our analysis by going over our pros and cons. And I'm going to start with you, Jay. What did you like about Jurassic Park? So I'm not going to shy away from this. Jurassic Park is my favorite movie of all time. We've talked positively about a lot of movies on this very podcast we've had kubo who's in my top 10 we have everything everywhere all at once who's also a top 10 movie of all time and we talked about dune which is a top 30 movie of all time but jurassic park reigns supreme above them all there's a lot of nostalgia in there i will gladly admit but this <laughs> is my favorite movie i love everything about it even the parts that don't work they work for me so <laughs> you name a thing that happened in this movie and it is indeed a pro for me <laughs> fantastic well uh we'll pass it over to eli eli what did you like about Jurassic park i'm in the opposite boat of jay i don't really have a lot of nostalgia for this movie when i was a kid i saw the dinos the dinosaur eating a guy on the toilet and it just scared me so i didn't watch it for another 20 years <laughs> uh 
However, uh, watching it as an adult, there are some so many great things about this movie. It's really tested, uh, you know, stood the test of time. And uh, the big thing for me is the script. I love how it introduced the themes and incorporated them in not only the story, but with the character interactions. There's just so much like it's such a interesting, you know, so many things to think about in this almost like a schlocky B-movie monster fest. You know, I think it was such a great mashup of genres. Um, also, some of the special uh, best special effects in cinematic history, like the 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 CG was great at the time, and I still think it looks decently well. But the practical effects, bar none, it is just amazing what they did with puppetry and and set designs. It is immaculate, and like I don't know what it is about cinematic, like the cinematic medium, but it does the best at displaying just catastrophic failures. There's something so satisfying <laughs> watching a situation get worse and worse. And Jurassic Park, part of the part of the entertainment is just seeing just the dollhouse fall apart piece by piece. And I love how that's just like, all right, you know, take one step forward. There's like five steps back. It just gets worse and worse. So uh, just great filmmaking all around with that. Um, and, you know, if I want to shout out a specific scene, that T-Rex scene, the scene that traumatized me as a kid, watching it <laughs> as an adult, that's probably one of the best movie scenes of all time. The, just the lack of music, the amazing cinematography, the use of effects, it, it is just stellar. Wow, what an arc for uh, for Eli to, to go from this is the thing that I hated the most to the thing I love the most. It's fantastic. Um, Joey, what about you? What did you like about Jurassic Park? Uh, like Jay said, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, full of really great dino, movie, dino moments. Uh, they don't shirk away from showing you the dinos doing dino stuff. You know, think about like Godzilla, like that movie from 2012 or 2014 where Godzilla shows up in the last like couple of seconds of the movie. There's dinos throughout the whole movie and all of them look great. Uh, it's a story for the ages. Truly one of the greatest adaptations ever made, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's a poignant and powerful allegory that doesn't just warn against these kinds of tools, but seems to reflect human nature as a whole, um, which I think is really amazing. Sam Neill is great in this. The kids are also pretty good, and Jeff Gold Jeff Goldblum is iconic. Uh, him lounging on the with his shirt open on the <laughs> table because his <laughs> leg is hurt is incredible. Um, so many tiny moments of editing, juxtaposition, and action that makes this movie just really stand out. It's peak Spielberg. Uh, just all these beautiful little pieces that fall together. That, um, like Eli was saying hint toward a a bigger uh theme i thought it's masterful yeah i i definitely agree this, this movie is peak spielberg there's so many great suspenseful uh sequences where it just it, it never gets old he just continues to build on this suspense and even though i know i've seen this movie a bunch of times but I, it's like i know that jeep is not about to fall and crush them but it feels like it might and uh, and there's so many different sequences with that where that feeling of suspense never gets uh tiring so i love that the john williams score is fantastic i, I agree with what you guys have said the special effects are a marvel uh and they still hold up today this movie doesn't look weird i mean there's a couple things where you're like yeah maybe the cgi yeah you know if I'm being really cynical, I can maybe point at that. But the puppets still look amazing. The raptors are still terrifying. It's all very well executed um, in a way that, that feels like it'll last forever. 
the cast is incredible. I agree. Jeff Goldblum is iconic. I just love to listen to him talk. Uh, it's it's uh, and and you know throughout the cast really delivers. This movie is scary and it's funny and it's thought provoking um, and all the things you guys said. It's really great. Uh, so let's move on to our cons and talk about what we didn't like. And we'll go back to Jay. What what are your cons for Jurassic Park? So I I wasn't gonna put anything here, <laughs> and then uh, I'll, I'll steal one of Eli's in that there isn't enough of this movie. Uh, you know I, I would I I'd I'd engorge on another you know like a five hour edition of this movie a la you know Lord of the Rings style where we get like a huge <laughs> prologue of building the park and like an outro you know talking about the fallout and all that stuff. I would eat all that stuff up. Uh, I understand that would probably make it a worse movie because it's paced perfectly um because it like has a perfect runtime and is it uh, it's been described as a ride to me and it perfectly it that that describes it very well like it's very on the tracks like there's very little like places to deviate and it it works uh, it works perfectly, but yeah, I, I would take more of this movie if they gave it to me, um, for sure. Uh, be careful what you wish for, Jay. I know, I know. <laughs> I recognize that. I recognize that, yeah. Also, yeah, leave it to the guy who has this his favorite movie to turn his con into <laughs> pros. It's like, this movie, I would want it to be longer. It's the perfect runtime. Uh, <laughs> how about... Uh, well, <laughs> Benjamin, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, well, how about you, Eli? Uh, what are your cons for Jurassic Park? My biggest problem is with the ending or sort of the lack thereof because I'm not I'm not talking about the actual ending we got where I like the dino, uh, T-Rex saving them from the velociraptors. I like them flying away and uh, Hammond takes one last look. I, I thought that was great, but it feels like there should be a scene after they fly away, right? It, like some scene, maybe there's like an echo of the earlier scene with Sattler and Grant like at, at an excavation site and just like deliberating on what they learned about from the adventure, uh, see the fallout of, you know, Hammond getting the book thrown at him or something, maybe a monologue from uh, Ian Malcolm, just anything. But the movie just has such an abrupt ending. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like there's just, it has an act one and then an act two, but they missed, you know, the act three. There's no like denouement, which you expect in sort of these traditionally like modernist tales of, you know, which Jurassic Park kind of is at its core. Um yeah, that that that's my big issue, and sort of echoing what Jay said, I I do think I, I wanted more, not just from the ending, but more interactions from the characters. Like uh, Ian Malcolm, you know, he's great when he's there, but he gets hurt and is just at the sideline the whole time making quips, which is feels like a waste, not only for the character but for Jeff Goldblum's performance because he's one of the best parts in this movie. And I wish we got introduced to the children earlier because they kind of just show up and they're thrown into the jeep. And now they're like main characters in the movie. I wish they were there earlier um, just to give themselves more character to establish the relationship further with Grant, who becomes sort of their surrogate father. Um, yeah, it's sort of like echoing what Jay said. I just it, for this movie, you know, it's great. Don't get me wrong, like you said. But I think the wrong time it could have been helped by maybe like five or ten minutes just at maybe at the end, maybe sparse through, but just give it a little bit more. Because it, it like Jay is right, it does feel like a thrill ride, but for me, the thrill ride gets cut off just a bit too soon. Fair enough. All right, we'll move on to Joey. What are your cons? 
So this is the movie that, well, this is what everyone thinks of when they think of dinosaurs, right? They think of Jurassic Park. But uh, actually, these aren't actually dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, actually, Joey, they explain that in Jurassic World because oh, they're not real God. dinosaurs. They've been genetically oh. engineered from the start, Joseph. So actually, it makes sense. <laughs> I, I, yeah, Jay, you're right. And that's, I actually, I actually do agree with you. Um, it's the. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it does have a. Um, it has this wider, like, cultural, um, you know, sign- significance where people think of the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park as dinosaurs. Oh, but yeah. if you think about the story, like that, that's actually stated and the consequences of what's happened, you start to realize that these aren't really dinosaurs. They're more like genetic monsters. That, that that have been created out of like science right they're representative of humans hubris more so than they are like the embodiment or the reincarnation of a long dead creature um so i think it's the metaphor works even stronger from that perspective but um it does bother me when people are like well the dinosaurs are jurassic park it's like come on you know, think about dinosaurs. <laughs> um for me the the moral dilemma at the heart of the story is sort of la- lost to the action in the second half uh, that's probably my favorite part is them re- grappling with the fact that they've created something they can't control and it's fun having them do all this dino stuff but i prefer a little bit more of the ph- philosophical stuff and um i really can't stand lex using the computer um at the, <laughs> when she's trying to lock the door um sattler is sitting in the worst position to close a door she's in, like, right, like, from a lever perspective in, the, in like a really poor really poor leverage tim is just sitting standing there jumping up and down trying to get lex to use the computer faster lex is slowly <laughs> moving through a virtual re- environment with her with her mouse he's like ridiculous what kind of what kind of ui is this ridiculous joey she's a hacker she said she was a hacker earlier in the movie I don't have a problem with girls using a computer. That's not my problem. My problem is the, all the other pieces that are happening around her. So, yeah. Um, well, for my cons, I echo Eli's uh, con about Ian Malcolm being underutilized in the second half of the film. He's by far my favorite character. And, I, yeah, it sucks to just see him sidelined when we could get many more iconic moments from him. Uh, and then, finally... Uh, the last con before we move on the tiptoeing t-rex uh so one of my favorite things about uh like honestly one of the most iconic things in my opinion from jurassic park is the ripple effect on the water when you can hear the dinosaurs coming um so unless like canonically the t-rex was like intentionally stomping louder than it normally does or like harder than it normally does uh the t-rex should have indicated that it was in the room with them by just its footsteps and i've watched that scene back a bunch of times and you there's they would have totally noticed the t-rex right off screen uh, and we should have been able to notice it. i know that would have undercut the drama but uh that was just something that i uh, i couldn't ignore on this particular walk watch of jurassic park so uh, okay well there's all of our cons uh we're ready to get into our overall section And we'll kind of get the ball rolling uh, with a few questions. So the reason we're doing Jurassic Park today is because Jay reached out to us and and said, you know, it's it's time to do a Jurassic Park episode. So, of course, uh, we said it was time for another Super Bracket Brothers guest episode. Jay, uh, why specifically did you pick Jurassic Park for this episode? So I said it already. It is my favorite movie. So I 
wanted to talk about it on my favorite movie podcast. Um, but oh. uh, it also is the 30th anniversary this year of Jurassic Park. Came out in 1993 and, it's, of course, 2023. Uh, it'll be 30 years old this year, uh, which is shocking. Um, uh, gives more credit to this movie for, for being as good as it is 30 years later, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I knew the anniversary was coming up, so I reached out to you guys to see if you know it was on your radar at all. Um, which, you know, led to me asking to, you know, come on this show to be able to talk about this movie. Um, and the, the idea percolated in my brain after, uh, on the Affable Chat Discord and the Affable Chat Twitch stream, you know, there was a lot of conversations about, uh, AI. And so I was thinking through the lens of my favorite movie, um, and sort of like the message of just because... Uh, it, you know, thinking about whether or not you can and not whether or not you should. And so that conversation related to back to AI in a way that I feel like is relevant today. And so I kind of wanted to, you know, another excuse to watch Jurassic Park through a different lens again. <laughs> I was going to take that opportunity and see if you guys were up for it. So that's what led to today. Definitely a lot of discussion about what we're potentially creating for ourselves. What kind of unstoppable monster could we be creating through uh, our pursuit for artificial intelligence? So definitely relevant. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, that seems to be the case when you tell a really compelling story that it, it's able to stay relevant throughout the years, even 30 years later and beyond that. Uh, so I, I want to uh, go to our next question. This one's for both uh, you, Eli, and Jay. So I guess I'll, I'll go to Eli first. Uh, what about this movie speaks to you personally? Right. So I don't have the you know, nostalgic gaze for it like a lot of people do. But I still found myself really endearing to this movie because I just love genre mashups. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, you know, I love that this movie is plays with the... It, it, it's like a high-concept science fiction adventure, but also a thrilling disaster film, while also being a schlocky monster movie. You know, movies like this just tell me that the director is a huge nerd about movies. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I know Spiel, if you know the history of Spielberg and how he got into movies, this is just a... This is just him, like, almost playing, you know, with his toys, you know? <laughs> it, it, it endears myself to the movie so much more knowing that the guy who made it really loves just creating fun, suspensual action, um, you know, while also matching with all of his different favorite things together. So, uh, to me, watching Jurassic Park is like watching a really talented guy. I really like watching, you know, do what he does. So, uh, for me, as much as I enjoy watching Jurassic Park, it's Spielberg directing Jurassic Park that I think makes me love it. Now, I'll turn the same question over to you, Jay. What about this movie speaks to you personally? So this, you know, was my favorite movie growing up, obviously. Um, you know, I watched it at far too young of an age, um, <laughs> to be you know, also <laughs> completely honest, you know. But, like, it wasn't scary to me, you know? Like, it, it was just, I love the dinosaurs. I love the uh, sense of wonder that the movie provided me and you know obviously the dinosaurs you know were scary and terrifying but it just compounded the wonder it, it compounded it in a way that made it like even more uh, i i always imagined dinosaurs in my real world you know like i would be this is what i would daydream about you know like uh, you know 10 12 year old jay on the way to basketball practice like in the car like we're driving by like this you know an open cornfield and i'd imagine a flock of gallimimus following the car next to us you know like th that that's what this movie 
provided to me, and I, I've absorbed every iota of this movie, and I, I appreciate every moment of it. And today, you know, as an adult, you know, I'm a pretty natural, you know, I lean towards pessimism, and especially in concern of the nature of people uh, at large, not necessarily like individuals. Um, and even, you know, people and organizations that have good intentions. Um, and it speaks to me as a warning to our world, you know, about the perils it faces and will face in the future. And obviously today, at you know, 27 years old, I still think dinosaurs are really cool, man. Like, you know, like I, I still, <laughs> I still think, you know, that everything about this movie, uh, speaks to me as an appreciator of movies. What the things I appreciate about this movie, I appreciate about other movies and that like it, it felt like everybody in this production was 100% on board and they knew what they were doing and that starts with Spielberg you know I think this is peak him and I think this is perfect example of what he can do when he's doing it at his best yeah um I think the story is so interesting because when I first watched Jurassic Park I was like wow this is telling us about like how to be more careful with technology right it's like here's a cautionary tale about how like if you were to inherit or create ultimate power like could you or should you right and uh you know you should be doing this with caution and you should be keeping in mind the consequences of what you're going to do um and i think the dinosaur metaphor is really powerful because it is so abstract you know there's they're not really making dinosaurs in real life i know they recently resurrected like a woolly mammoth dna or something but largely this is sort of a uh like pet genetic project doesn't seem to have any like financial or or um you know uh, economic incentives to do something like this so it's easy to map it onto other technologies and be like this is why you know this is just like Jurassic Park you're unlet you're unleashing Pandora's box right you're you're opening this uh, door that you don't want opened um and you really should be careful about what you're doing but this time watching it it felt way more like this was a commentary on human nature than it was like a caution because it seems like it doesn't matter how many times we watch Jurassic Park or think about Jurassic Park or how seriously we take Jurassic Park it does, this this sort of pattern is going to happen anyway right people are going to um make mistakes are going to are going to go out into the world and and do things that are going to harm themselves and everyone else and not think about the consequences because other incentives are driving them, right? This sense of wonder, or maybe this uh, there's financial reason, or maybe this idea that they will have this power that was lost uh, within their grasp, right? All of those are reasons to uh, not care about uh, other people or what the larger consequences, and for you to just pursue this um, unabashedly. And um, I guess like what I want to take away from it this time is everyone's kind of reaction to this, right? I really like the um the reactions from Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler and even Ian Malcolm, right? They're very much on board with this is a bad idea. They go out there and they're like, "Wow, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen." But <laughs> you guys don't know what you're doing. And <laughs> even though there's an obvious um conflict of interest here where uh, Hammond is f- is going to fund uh, Grant and Sadler's research in the future. They never let that stand in their way. They're like, um, you know, even though this is everything I could possibly ever want, I can't endorse this. This is not a good idea. And I think the 
having that conversation in that dark room with the slideshow going on, right? It's it's something that I think about all the time. Um, and it's something it's a conversation that people have all the time. But the difference, I think, is that um, uh, you don't see the immediate fallout, right? There isn't a complete disaster immediately after this because the people that are on the other side of the table, the John Hammonds of the world, like, will say exactly what John Hammond says in this. It's like, why don't you guys agree with me? I thought this is what you wanted. The only person who agrees with me is the lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, yeah, one of the quotes I picked out was that specific one. So <laughs> let's uh, let's play it. I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it. You're meant to come down here and defend me against these characters, and the only one I've got on my side is the blood-sucking lawyer. <laughs> I love the... Thank you. God, it, that just reminds me of the humor of this movie too. Like the oh, thank you. Like just <laughs> it, it's, I mean, I love it. it's so innocuous, but it's so good. Um. But yeah, no, I love this line too. And it's like Hammond, it's just like, I don't, I, he cannot possibly fathom, uh, you know, the other side of the argument. And this is before everything goes wrong, right? You know, like, yes. I, I, it, it's a testament also to the fortitude of the visiting characters of Malcolm Grant and Sattler that they see this, you know, that they, you know, especially Grant and Sattler, you know, they are dinosaur people. They understand more than anybody else in the world. Like, if yeah, I feel like one of the biggest oversights or what could be perceived as one of the biggest oversights of this movie is that they don't have a paleobotanist or a paleontologist on staff at this facility. Right. <laughs> you know, like it, it's incredible to me. But then it also it also kind of makes sense because if they had brought in someone who who knew, if they had tried to bring in Dr. Grant, he would have never gone for it. You know, like realistically, right. like he would have never gotten on board with it truly um and i think that's one part where i'm going to talk about the book a bunch i don't know if any of you have read the book um i have you know in the book like hammond is much more maniacal um and he like traps people in these contracts um and so like it it would have been more it, it would have been out of hammond's character in the movie for him to like do something like that with a paleontologist but that's just a thing that i think about a lot with this with this movie in this book well, I think I, kind of the reason I chose that quote um, to talk about, and I'm happy it jump-started this conversation, is that I don't think Hammond realizes why he's doing this. There's not this altruistic pursuit of, you know, scientific advancement. Uh, it's because he, you know, he wants to do a theme park. He's this, he's the kid who liked playing with all the toys. He, like, uh, later in the movie, when, you know, he's you know, eating all that ice cream, as people do when they're sad. Uh, <laughs> it was going to melt, Eli. <laughs> <laughs> it was melting. Uh, but, like, I loved when he was talking about it. He tried doing a flea circus, and he was trying to convince people, like, no, fleas are there. They're real. And he felt so unsatisfied. So he went and did the impossible because he wanted people to be, you know, in awe of what he accomplished, right? Um, you know, he he's just so unaware that he's doing this for his own pride and not so much the good of the people. And I think that's what the quote, I, I just love how deliciously ironic this quote is, because like you guys mentioned, the people who actually know what they're talking about are like, this is a bad idea. But the lawyer who is just there before, you know, contractual obligations and money is on his side because that's what he's doing it for. He's just unaware of it. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. And I think that one of the most powerful scenes in this movie is when they first see the dinosaurs, right? They, they hold back, right? You see, you see the, the, the lost raptor eyes or whatever through the cage, but you don't actually get to see dinosaurs until they arrive in the park and then you see everybody's reactions to it. And their reactions 
are amazing. I mean, this is this is incredible acting because they have no idea. First of all, they have no idea what they're looking at, right? <laughs> they're 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 just acting like they're seeing something amazing. But just like the sheer awe on their faces lends itself to like brings me into the movie so much and makes me feel like this is real, like this is amazing, right? If they were just like eh, dinosaurs, you know, which is what <laughs> you would do if you were going to see a dinosaur park today after seeing all these dang movies, you would, you would, uh, it, it, it just brings me into it. Be like, wow, this is, this is something really special. This is something really amazing. And that like put right next to this idea that this is a dangerous and irresponsible act right where you can have both where you can have the wonder and awe of something with true majesty against something against the rational side of your brain saying don't do this this is this is going to turn out poorly um is really powerful because i think we all get caught up in this idea that the future is here and that we it's it's gonna it's coming right down the pipeline right and that it's, it's going to be here any moment and we have to get on board or or else get off the train and um there's never a serious conversation about pumping the brakes because um it just seems impossible and but the, but the thing is like you can have both of those things and you can you can say like oh this is gonna be a very useful tool or this is going to be very helpful, or this is going to be amazing, while also saying, this is bad. We, like, the, the, the other side of this coin is not worth the, um, you know, the good parts of it. Yeah, it's interesting because how do you effectively pump the brakes on something like this? Because just because Jurassic Park has this catastrophe and, and shuts down doesn't mean that competing businesses aren't pursuing the exact same thing. Uh, I mean, that was uh, Newman's whole... Uh, you know, arc there. He was yeah. the, the first domino to fall, you know, before he moves to New York and becomes Jerry Seinfeld's, uh, <laughs> I guess this would be after since he's dead. But, um, but, but I guess what I'm saying is like, even if you decide, okay, this isn't good, um, that, that the snowball has already started rolling and there are people out there who are like, no, there's money to be made here. Or maybe they have their own hubris where they decide, no, I'm the one who's going to bring about this wondrous thing. Um, so it's like, it almost feels like if if I don't do it, someone else will. Uh, it's and it's like, how do you effectively make that stop? I don't know. I mean, the only way, like the 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 key moment was in that room when they were having this conversation, right? When they're after the dinosaurs have been bred and and put out there, but nobody has seen them yet, right? And when they're they're making the they're making some sort of executive decision about whether they should squash this now before it gets out, before the people even know it's possible, or if they're going to unleash it completely. Um, yeah, I think that at a certain point, it's too late. You know, Pandora's box is open. There's no point in closing it. Everything inside has already escaped. And, um, and at that point, like the only thing you can do is try to regulate it. But I mean, this is the lesson of all the sequels, right? Of all the sequels of Jurassic Park is nobody's le- learned this lesson. Nobody seems to have understood the the point of the first movie, which is um, making dinosaurs is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's where everything circles back to the commentary on control, right? You know, that yeah. we believe that we can control everything as humans. You know, we believe that we are the superior force on this planet, when in reality, like, you know, if the, the planet decides that we're too much, then we're gone. You know, like, humanity is extinct. We are a blip, you know, on this you know pale blue dot in in the middle of space right and some alien civilization is going to come up and dig us up and be like oh wow that was a weird period on this planet you know like they're gonna be like, know, like we should we've got the blood saved in this mosquito we could bring them back oh no oh god <laughs> please please don't no <laughs> let us rest um 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the most powerful images from the book. It was when they talk about one of the extinction events. Um, the the there was this period. I I don't know what the, the timeline is because I'm not very good with the geology. But essentially, um, all life on Earth was breathing um, some form of carbon dioxide. I think, and then uh, there was a switch where there was these algae blooms, these plants that were producing oxygen, and it was poisonous to. 90% of the life on Earth and 90% of the life on Earth was wiped out. And suddenly now we have a new species, a new ecosystem that is entirely reliant on oxygen, which was previously poisonous, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the, what they, I think there's something from the book, and maybe this was something that I just internalized, which is that the end, when we say the end of the world, we really mean the end of humanity. And because the world is going to be just fine, <laughs> it can survive almost anything, and it's going to be a, life will, as Ian Malcolm says, find find a way with or without us. So it's it is this idea that like oh nothing could happen to us or like we're we're not as fragile as as we may appear um, that drives us toward reckless abandon, which has served us well in the past, but. At some point, we're going to reach some limit where we we blow up the chemistry set, but the chemistry set is everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you know, we unleash the dinosaurs on into the whole world, or you know, but and, yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I, I'm under no like illusions that like dinosaurs would realistically be able to like wipe out humanity. Like they, you know, the dinosaurs to- can't tweet, so they're not going to destroy the world. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, so but it it's still. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Like the the illusion of control was something that I focused on a lot on this on this watch through, and it's just yeah, it's just interesting that we still believe that you know like just because we put something in a box, it's going to stay in that box, you know, even though like <laughs> it's from sixty five million years ago, or you know like just because we made it, it's ours. Like that's that's not how things work. Yeah, I mean, just because we can you know, should we, right? Just because we can industrialize and, and create cities, uh, you know, and make people work 15 hours a day, should we, you know, just because that is going to make it so that we can all have like the exact same shoes at an affordable price. Uh, you know, still like there's plenty of examples you can look at through history where it's like, what was this the point where we opened a Pandora's box that really, you know, sent us careening into some sort of dystopian existence that we're used to because we were born into it. But, uh, you know, didn't have to necessarily happen if the most ambitious humans didn't force it into existence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this goes back to what Jay was just saying, right? It's like there's this I there's this I don't know, idea or illusion that everything that's brought us to here was on purpose, that we we did it for a reason. And it, that's not quite true. It's sort of like everything happens uh because there are, the conditions are right for them to happen more so than somebody de- like designed it to be this way, and I think that's like a, a fundamental thing to realize is that not only do not only is the reason we're here a complete accident, but that we could shape it to be something different or better in the future. And um, you know, it, it, there there is a level of control that we have over things, but maybe we just need to refocus on what that control looks like, right? instead of focusing on the things that we can't control and and act like maybe we could focus more on the things that we don't think we control but we could i just i find the whole thing you know i i i'm i consider myself like a humanist i like 
you know, expecting good and humanity and like, you know, the pursuit of all things. So I find stories like this beautifully tragic about the human condition because, you know, how do you confine humans from evolving? How do you prevent people whose sole purpose is to make these discoveries, tell them no, not to do that? Um, you know, we were taught, uh, like when I was looking at uh, watching Jurassic Park, I weirdly enough was comparing it to a Ghibli movie. Uh, The Wind Rises uh, by Hayao Miyazaki, the movie he was supposed to retire on. Um, If you haven't seen The Wind Rises, it's about an airplane engineer, uh, a Japanese airplane engineer before World War II, and he is trying to build the, you know, the perfect aircraft. It is his dream to fly. He wants to build a machine that will take humanity, specifically Japan, because he's a proud Japanese man. He wants to propel them into the sky and into the world stage. But he realizes if he builds these flying machines, they're going to be used for war. And so it's this constant moral conundrum that, he's de- that he deals with, uh, which comes across in the film as he has dreams talking to this Italian uh, aviator that he you know, aspires to be. And the aviator tells him, like, this quote's always stuck with me. Uh, hang on, let me see if I can... Yeah, he says, but still I choose to live in a world with pyramids in it. Which world will you choose? He's basically saying, would you rather live in a world without wonder if it meant safety? Or would you rather put the wonder there and deal with, you know, the fallout afterwards? So it's sort of this inventor's conundrum. It's this beautifully tragic way. Like, if you look at, oh, yeah, humanity's been going downhill since they built fire, you know, without fire, <laughs> without fire, we wouldn't have where we are right now. Yeah. But that's like a ridiculous Coming thing. down from the trees was a bad idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I, I just, it's, it's this beautifully tragic thing of like how wonderful it is that we have the ability to create such wondrous things. But there's this massive caveat that when we create them, that gives other people, you know, they, the freedom to do with what they will, you know? So, I don't know, sto- yeah. stories like any, I always love stories like Jurassic Park and The Wind Rises where a character is grappling with, I can invent this thing. It's my life's purpose to do this, but in doing so, am I making things worse? It, it is, you know, so beautifully tragic to me uh, when you view it through that lens. Yeah, and I don't think it is obvious that, making dinosaurs is necessarily a bad idea you know i think that in the movie it's, it seems like that's the consequence but I, I think that it could easily have gone a different way if nendry wasn't there right if other pieces hadn't fallen apart then it maybe you know this is a quiet uh, walk through the park well, <laughs> so well here's the question is like if if hammond wasn't the one in charge if more of a neil grant or a Sattler or a malcolm were in charge who actually cared about dinosaurs because they loved them versus hammond trying to create you know this this false uh, th- he's doing it for theme park reasons, not you yeah. know for the good of the dinosaurs. If they theme were, if someone, <laughs> if someone who actually had a love uh, fondness for for the creatures, just for the creatures themselves, you know, maybe the park would have been a completely different thing. Well, that's the conundrum, right? Is the people that would probably be most likely statistically to do it right would never do it right yeah. you know like that. That's that's the quandary that you encounter because you know Hammond supposedly spared no expense right he bought the best ice Mm -hmm. cream he hired the best people (laughs) you know like he did all of these things but yet he didn't pay nedry enough you know like unequivocally almost certainly 
one of the most important people on that island he did not pay him enough and nedry is like depicted as this i mean eli said like nedry did nothing wrong you know nedry is like an underpaid employee you know like you know like it's something that uh we see a lot in 2023 or is you know it's talked about a lot and so it's like it's a lot easier to sympathize with him today um and even like you know joey in the books like nedry is like abused like he you know gets mm-hmm. shanghaied into this project essentially you know via contracts and non-disclosure agreements and things like that and just like gets the absolute chef is it an excuse for like letting people die no <laughs> you know of course not <laughs> um you know but it it's you you see it a little bit more clearly in that way and so i just that's interesting that is really interesting. I haven't read the book. Uh, so and I think part of it is kind of the language of the way the movie explains Nedry to us or, or introduces us to Nedry. But also it could be that I'm just Newman pilled from watching Seinfeld. <laughs> but it came across as nothing more than just this pursuit of more money, right? The way he's so giddy and hugging that purse full of money. It seems that he's he's motivated by one thing and that's leveraging his current situation for more money the highest bidder gets loyalty from nedry right uh, but yeah i think it takes on a, a different more chaotic i think spin if you think about it as like it was his way of rebelling against a system that had been oppressing him i appreciate you jay for actually defending nedry because I, I made that as a joke i thought he was pretty irredeemable but i <laughs> 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 spun that around on me <laughs> and, and to go back to a point that i think uh eli or joey was saying is that like you know there's a version of this that might potentially work but then like that's the that's what gets you right you know the thinking that in some way version possible but in reality a nedry is always going to come along and even in jurassic world they have a functional park but it gets boring they need to increase ratings they were always going to push the genetic capabilities further right there is always something when you are messing that that's the message right you like you are messing with this it, it may not go wrong tomorrow it may not go wrong you know in tw- 20 years but eventually like this is going to supersede human control and and uh echo you know this is the only podcast you're going to hear a jurassic park wind rises comparison but i'm going to keep doing it uh, <laughs> part of the part of the problem is like he's designing these airships the only way he's actually going to make them feasible is working with the japanese government and military like like you said there's the funding you know he just if if he was alone and had infinite resources he would build the planes and just fly them around that's just not possible in the environment he's in just as it's not possible to you know create dinosaurs without attracting people to pay i was thinking that like what the lawyers say like we could have a coupon day or whatever but it's like ten thousand a day like (laughs) those are like yeah with all the money hammond is spending with all the resources necessary to fulfill the dreams of these people you know that's it's the it's the limitations of the environment it's the you know the greed and that's where like the nedries come in or you know the government or all these like shareholders and everything it's just yeah if if we just lived in a vacuum where people could just do what they wanted without you know worrying about funds and government oversight or whatever then you know who, who's to say you know who's to say maybe it might work out maybe it not but yeah it's just a it's just a big big dollhouse that comes crashing down (laughs) all right ready to move on uh sure yeah i've got um a few more questions so 
Jurassic Park, uh, I, I think one of the things we talked about is just uh, kind of the magic that this film uh, kind of brings to life. I, I, as a kid, I felt like dinosaurs were almost real. It, it, I feel like they played a much larger part in my childhood uh, that like kind of gave me this projection that dinosaurs would be kind of a big part of my whole life. <laughs> uh, and maybe that's a commentary on this on the franchise as, as a whole. But I do remember like going to, uh, you know, do paleontology stuff as like, okay, like an activity where you would like uncover bones from sand and stuff. So um, I, I guess I just wanted to ask uh, you two kind of what ways that Jurassic Park impacted your childhood. And I guess I'll start with Jay. Yeah, so it impacted it pretty significantly, I would say. Like, I had dino books, dino pajamas, dino costumes. Like, you know, it was pretty pervasive, you know, growing up. Uh, up to the point that this is a real thing that like my first job my first career that i wanted was to be john hammond like i wanted (laughs) i wanted to create jurassic park my like youthful mind could not comprehend could not possibly contemplate the idea that this movie told us how to do it and no one's actually done it yet (laughs) (laughs) like that is what i thought as a kid like i wanted to make jurassic park like that was what i was gonna do when i grew up like you know that was like my very first job that i wanted so like then like that obviously not only is that a bad idea it's impossible (laughs) uh so like that's not gonna happen anytime soon but yeah like that that was what i wanted to be so like i love jurassic park growing up like it definitely like influenced and like yeah like i i love dinosaurs but then like i think also the messages of this movie probably like influenced how I grew up and the things that I believe today. You know, like I mentioned, like I'm naturally a pessimist about the nature of people. You know, I it's it's impossible for Jurassic Park to not have had some influence on that. You know, uh, wow. I, I I really I I do believe that. With I mean, the amount of times I watched this damn movie, like I wore out the VHS <laughs> tape. Like you know, like it. We had to get a new one. So like, uh, yeah, no, I I watched Jurassic Park endlessly as what, a kid. Jay, what what part of Nedry didn't inspire confidence in the human race? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about you know nedry's uh, my my modern day uh, hero obviously <laughs> uh what about you eli i know you mentioned uh being a little bit terrified by what you saw as a child but did uh did jurassic park impact your uh, childhood in any bigger way <laughs> not really it was pure fear, so and that sad. was it. <laughs> well, it was funny when, Jay, you were talking about it earlier, and you didn't find it scary at all. I found this terrifying. I thought the Brachiosauruses were cool because, you know, they wouldn't eat me. But I, to hear you guys saying, like, the wonder enraptured you, like, you felt dinosaurs are real. That terrified me. Like, I don't want these things to be real. Like, I don't want to get eaten. <laughs> so it's it's so interesting, like, you know, seeing that response, you know, that diverges. Either you like Jurassic Park or you were scared of it. But, uh, you know, it's just impossible to escape the influence, though, because it was everywhere. Like, you know, I, I, I wasn't a dinosaur kid. I thought they were cool. I don't like a surface level, but I could never remember the long names. But. But there are so many people, you know, friends of mine in elementary, middle school, even high school, Jay, uh, who, you know, <laughs> were just like lived and breed dinosaurs because I, I, I understood there was they were cool, but there was so like intrinsically like the idea of these modern day monsters uh, was was terrifying to me. And it wasn't like a Dracula or, less, you know, 
Invisible Man, all those classic Universal monsters where they were clearly fictitious, uh, dinosaurs felt more real to me, which uh, heightened kind of the 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 anxiety, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, but I will say, like, I do love that Jurassic Park has stood the test of time for these thirty years because it is a magical experience. Like, there's a reason people love thrill rides. There's a reason people love this movie. It's exciting. It's it's cool. You know, I, I'm sure. I okay. Here's my question to you guys: How many times have you seen a Jurassic Park Jeep? just parked in like a Walmart parking lot. Yeah, I, more than once. <laughs> I, I, I could count like four specific times. And Jay probably knows this because you saw the same one. Yeah, well, I saw the same one. We grew up in the same 8,000. Well, Jay drives one. So. Yeah, yeah, it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were the one parked at GameStop. I knew it. <laughs> but yeah, that's the influence. It's just, it's just crazy to me. So yeah, like I, even though looking back, it was mostly just like, you know, fear. Uh, looking back, it is appreciative how just how the how it inspired so much wonderment with with so many people and 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 then to be fair, like one of my favorite movie going experiences was going to see Jurassic World because you know I I think Jay I was with you with that group when we went maybe maybe uh, I well we, we I would have been in lacrosse so I don't know if we saw it together I know I saw well, it with maybe. Noah I just remember going and you know I'm not a big Jurassic Park guy so I was just like yeah, I'll just enjoy it going with friends or whatever. That scene with the T-Rex coming out of the garage, my friend Zach grabbed me by the arm, and I just I was overtaken with excitement, too. We stood up in the back row and just started cheering. <laughs> so even though, like, I, I, it was like I went back in time and was just like, you know, slap my younger self in the head and be like, no, this is cool. Don't be scared. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, that's the only one I've seen in theaters as well as Jurassic World, and um, it kind of gave me the same vibes as seeing Star Wars Episode Seven, uh, which is called mm. Force Awakens. A new, yes, a Force Awakens. A new, um, a Force, new, Force, Awakens. A new Force Awakens. <laughs> a new Star. A new Episode Four is, is what it's bookmarked in my mind. But because it it gives you a little bit of an opportunity for people who are too young to have really w- experienced it the first time, you kind of get a little bit of the same vibes now. Uh, but I guess that is a great springboard into my next question, which is, what are your thoughts on the Jurassic Park franchise as it exists today? And I'll uh, I'll turn that one towards you, Jay. I don't hate it. Um, that's uh, begrudgingly. I don't hate it. Glowing, um, glowing yeah. review. I know, that is yeah, a exactly. Yeah, like, a glowing endorsement. I, I, I really appreciate uh, the Lost World uh, quite a bit. Uh, Jurassic Park Three, I think, indulges and invites a lot of the things that I don't like about the new trilogy. So, like retroactively, I've liked it less, even though that was probably one of my favorite movies growing up as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just been reduced to like a CGI thrill ride teaching the same lessons but in a more hollow way as the original movie as well because they do it over and over again within the same franchise. It's not even like it's a different movie saying the same thing made by a different <laughs> producer like it's just the same same people, same franchise and it's just it gets a little tired. Uh I loved 2018's jurassic world it's one of my you know top 100 movies you know it's it's in that list just because of like the theater experience i had it used to be like top 10 easy until i saw jurassic park in theaters uh i was fortunate enough it was playing in a local theater and i was able to go watch it and i mean i was a wreck like it was one of the most (laughs) one of the greatest theater experiences i've ever had uh it was just absolutely incredible and so like that made me 
it gave me the experience of actually getting to see Jurassic Park in theaters and it like knocked Jurassic World like way down my on my favorite <laughs> movies list because I was like, oh, like I get it now, you know, like I, I, I understood it, but I still love Jurassic World as like getting to see a functioning Jurassic Park was like it's still one of the coolest things that I've ever gotten to see. And I, I totally get that. That's like 100 percent nostalgia based, you know, like that's not necessarily something that gets everybody, but that's what I love. And I also love the video games from the Jurassic Park franchise as well uh jurassic jurassic park operation genesis is a game that i've put you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in. it's a par- <laughs> it's a park sim uh from the early 2000s oh, wow. uh where you get to make a jurassic park um and i played that game so much um and then the preceding jurassic world evolution that uh came out like four or five years ago and there's a second one that came out a couple years ago uh which are also park sims which i i i love dearly as well um so yeah, no, I, I'm still that's awesome. Still on board for anything Jurassic Park franchise, but I am not in love with the modern trilogy by any stretch of the imagination. I appreciate that though, because when I saw, I don't remember what movie I was going to go see, but I saw an ad for the most recent Jurassic World iteration, and they were like, "And we brought back the characters from the first one," you know, and I was like, "Oh boy, they're really scraping the bottle, uh, the bottom of the barrel at this point to be like." featuring the characters that have already done this they already did that once already they've already done that except this time they already were like they're doing it with locusts we don't have have any ideas so we're gonna bring back the cast from the original movie they've already done that with jurassic world 3 yeah part 3 i know (laughs) but 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 like i'm i'm not cynical enough to relish that every time i see it i i'm an i've gone through the whole life cycle of like loving star wars and then eventually hating it because they won't stop making more star wars mm-hmm. that's terrible and and you know i've heard the mandalorian is great the, the, the don't come after me mandalorian lovers but <laughs> but the, the 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 skywalker trilogy or saga i should say which is also the not the skywalker saga is the palpatine saga <laughs> but regardless um <laughs> regardless um it is nice to hear that it, it can still be enjoyed by the people who love it most which i think is overall a good thing i have a question for you guys do you think jurassic park as a series would have fared better if each movie was like almost like an anthology where each movie was its own Jurassic Park, like isolated from the others, like, you know, like, I guess, what's the term, like alternate reality kind of thing, like an alternate timeline where it's just like, oh, here, here's this version of Hammond, you know, here's this version, and they just tweak a little bit. Do you think that would have been better or having this continuous storyline, even though they keep repeating it? Like in, in in this linear narrative, <laughs> would that? Would've... I just don't know where to go from here, honestly. Like it feels like we've we've got like the idea kind of down, and then like obviously you could have bigger and badder dinosaurs, but like they did that, and it's like I don't know, it's just not that interesting, you know. Like it, unless the special effects are keeping up with it in like a really like substantial way, it's just not like going to be anything other than schlock, you know. So I, I just don't really know what else you could say beyond like um this is this lesson in every single movie it's like oh we made a a park with dinosaurs and we made a dinosaur that's too dangerous and now it's eating people like uh, okay i got it (laughs) (laughs) i have to watch one movie to know that and like what and they even tried that like in fallen kingdom which is my least favorite uh jurassic 
park thing in existence like i i really yeah. despise this movie actually uh like it, it, it's significantly worse than jurassic world and dominion in my opinion um because like they touted it as uh the, you know this, this is gonna be a horror entry into the jurassic mm. world franchise and we have this really scary dinosaur and then like it smiles before it kills someone and i'm like no that was that that was awful (laughs) you know and it's like they could they 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 could do like a true horror series or movie in this franchise you know or like i don't know they could do something because like hammond offhandedly mentions i should have made this park in orlando and it's like you know (laughs) no you shouldn't have but like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you did you know like you know that could be you know maybe you could get something there but then it just like makes the threat more present and i, I it just goes back to what joey just said like it's it's the same lesson over and over again you can do it in different forms and different variations which hey like i'm i'm here for um but like i understand it's not good storytelling it's not a good here's my lesson. here's my Jurassic park sequel idea um a documentary was made about the original failure of the Jurassic park and everyone loved it and thought it was incredible. So they decided to replicate this experience where they have a park that f- systematically fails every so often, and you get to be in the park as it happens. But it's all controlled. It's all part of the, of, the, of the narrative. And you don't know what's real and what's not, but people start getting eaten for real, and then you're like, oh, shoot, did they actually have control over this? And the, the, the line between spectacle and experience uh, like uh, starts to blend. That's Westworld. That's world with dinosaurs. I I would like to pitch my my sequel series. How about each each movie is just infinite recursion, where the the movie beforehand was a movie in the in the movie. Yes. So so the sequel, they're watching the original Jurassic Park, and the third movie, they're watching the movie that was based on the original Jurassic Park, and it just goes on and on. And each movie, some some. Oh, dumb idiot. It's just like, oh, I'll fix it this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were doing it right. Yeah, in the second iteration, they hire someone instead of Nedry, but then, like, and then Ray Arnold goes bad, you know, instead. It's like, oh, yeah, they yeah. just fire Ray, you know. It's just like, <laughs> just, just to prove a point. Just <laughs> I, I will say, it was speaking of like simulated systematic failure, uh, the, the actual ride in Universal Orlando, I, I've ridden the Jurassic Park ride there, which maybe now it's called Jurassic. Jurassic World was badass and uh, felt completely safe and it kind of <laughs> took you down that same path of the movie where it's like, look, dinosaurs are cool and the animatronics are, you know, pretty good sometimes, not as good some other times. Uh, when I wrote it, actually, the, the T-Rex that like pops out during like the climax of the ride right before you go off the big drop was broken. Um, so it like looked <laughs> dead. Like it was like it's like slouched and like wasn't moving, which was almost more terrifying. <laughs> as it, like its corpse kind of tilted towards uh, us like, on the ride. Um, but I like overall, it was a really fun experience. So um, I will give Jurassic Park thumbs up for that for continuing to provide an immersive uh, ride experience at the theme parks. The uh, In the researching for this podcast episode, I watched the newest iteration that's at the uh, Universal in Hollywood. And like I, I watched like the POV of going through that. And it's the same idea, but still really badass and, and even better animatronics. So um, I can I can tip my hat to the Jurassic World uh, franchise for the for the actual uh, ride experience. <laughs> um, I have one more thing to say about the sequels. 
which is, um, you know, maybe bringing dinosaurs to the big screen wasn't worth it after all. Maybe we should have stopped to ask if we should rather than <laughs> if we could. <laughs> there it oh, is. he said the thing. He said the thing. <laughs> Stop the podcast. He said the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we're getting close to our the end of our overall section, but I do have one more question for, for all three of you. And uh, that question is, what is the most iconic shaving cream brand and why is it Barbasol? You know, <laughs> I was thinking long and hard about this question and the fact I can't name another shaving cream brand probably cements it. But to further the point, when Nedry put that dollop on that pie, I low-key wanted to eat it. <laughs> I, I, it, it was so aesthetically pleasing i knew it would have been bad but man if i just grabbed that i would have thought that was whipped cream and shoveled that it out. looks just like whipped cream <laughs> do you guys use do you guys use barbasol no well, i like, do not this well, is not an ad but no. i i have used ever since i was old enough to shave i've used barbasol and it's because of jurassic park uh, wow. it, 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 like the the way that it looks i'm like oh man i just it, it is like a, it's uh Literally shave from the movie, off, you know, just a shave off the face, a shave off the top of the of the Jurassic Park right. profits. Perfect. I might be outing <laughs> myself as a psychopath, but I don't actually use shaving cream. <laughs> yes, you are a psychopath. Yeah, I just go. Yeah, yeah. Straight razor. Yeah. Wow, that's. I, never, I, have I, never a, I use an electric razor. I never so had a problem I, yeah. doing that. Yeah, no, I use an electric razor as well. But if I went shopping for a shaving cream. It would probably be Barbasol. Like, uh, there, there, there's no way. Like, I would look at all the selection you, be, of, and, I, like, I would have to grab it. Saying, you'd be grabbing the, you'd be grabbing the bottom and twisting it, giving it a little twist. Yeah, just to check, just to, just to double check. You know, like, actually, that's what I do every time I go shopping. I stop by the shaving cream section. I just check the bottom of each one, just in case it actually has the embryos. Uh, on the other side, when I when I started shaving my head, I did try Barbasol, but I stopped after the fumes were making me dizzy. <laughs> like the smell, oh, no. the smell. I was like, okay, I, I was like, I can do this anymore. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, now we got a contractually obligated uh, like product placement question. Barbasol, please sponsor us. Yes, it's gonna be the best money. It's gonna be the best money ever spent on an ad placement. Like, <laughs> would Barbasol exist as a company if not for that right? placement? You know, like, yeah, I read in the trivia that it was just a somebody just liked the way it looked. Like no the guy way. who brought that to set, it wasn't even like a ad- advertisement thing. It was wow. like that's he just thought it looked the most photogenic. I mean, he wasn't That's wrong. Amazing. He wasn't and then wrong. the guy who brought that, I, I should have written it down, but it, whatever, whoever brought it, he had, uh, he said he used that, like the can that he brought to set to like say, this is what we should use because that's how broke he was at the time. So, um, <laughs> yeah, wild stuff. Eli, did you have something to say? I was just going to tell the audience at home, if you can't see, Benjamin's wearing a Barbasol t-shirt. And- <laughs> <laughs> I actually have shaving cream on my face. He's got right one now. of those like helmets like that you wear that has like beer in it, but it's like got shaving cream and stuff. <laughs> this pie I'm eating, that's not whipped cream. <laughs> Uh, okay well that is going to bring us to the end of our overall section and we're going to head to break but don't go away because when we come back we're going to go over our cool easter eggs uh and some quotable moments and deliver our ratings so stay with us playoff time baby game snacks i mean what else can you ask for hey pass me an affable chat cola Ugh, I mean, can you drink any louder? That's how I drink. Loud like that? I drink loud. I like to enjoy it. Toss me that bag of affable chat chips. 
Ugh, can you eat any louder? It's normal to eat loud. Drinking loud makes no sense. Whoa, it's famous movie star Arnold Schwarzenegger. Cool. Guess what, guys? I got tickets to the big game. Let's go. No way. The roads are too tough for us to get to the game. We're not going. I'm going to go grab some chips and drinks. Do not leave. Don't worry. I can get us to the game in my 2023 mid-sized luxury affable chat brand pickup truck. All right. Are you kidding me? Let me know if you can see me in the crowd on TV. Hey, I'm coming after you. After I finish eating these chips. To find out what happens next, visit affablechat.com. And we're back with Jay and Eli from the Super Bracket Brothers. We're going to talk about cool Easter eggs for the movie Jurassic Park. And we'll start with Jay. Jay, what have you got for us? Uh, about 100 of them. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll start with this one, which is actually something that I had never gotten around to looking up until this very watch through. Um, but I looked it up this time and I thought it was interesting. But um when Gennaro is the lawyer is arriving at the mining site uh the man that he meets uh Rustigno, uh says uh something in Spanish uh which actually interestingly translates to I've got a thousand pesos saying he falls and then moments later Gennaro trips and falls <laughs> which you know like nice. it's something I never knew about this movie I just knew he said something and I just never looked it up just always read the subtitle that said speak spanish and i was <laughs> frustrated because That's i never watched the movie me. with subtitles because like i know it but i watched it with subtitles this time because like i was trying to like catch everything and absorb it for this podcast and i saw it and it frustrated me i was like i want to know what he said so that's what he says. Yeah, Peacock had it, actually had it translated. It didn't just say to speak Spanish. Oh, really? Well, oh. it didn't have it translated, but it had it in Spanish, like the, the Spanish words. Okay, well, that's one, one, one up for Peacock over Blu-ray, I guess. <laughs> the cock strikes again. Over my 10-year-old Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one, the type of mosquito in Hammond's cane is called the elephant mosquito. A type of mosquito that doesn't actually feed on blood. Uh, this could wow. be seen as a movie error, or I think I personally, I'm going to go with this explanation is that it's another illusion that Hammond is fluffing up the park in his image to be more than it is. You know, he uses the mosquito that looks good, not necessarily the mosquito that he actually, the park would actually mm. use. I will say that's one Very of my nice. favorite images from the movie. Just this, this guy, because that the mosquitoes are the key to the whole enterprise. So the fact he has one on his cane is just such a. You know, he's holding the power. He's literally has has the power in his hand and walk flaunting it. Not, not you know, not the less. So I, I I really love that. That was good subtle filmmaking for me. I really love that. Yeah. So uh, so many things in here that you're mentioning, Jay, that are like just amazing little details that Spielberg has put in, and the just the having him hold the cane with the with the the mosquito in it, and then like staring at it at different points. Right. It sort of transitions like as Hammond. Uh, rises and falls like his or his attitude about the park rises and falls that thing represents different pieces of his like personality and having it as a prop for him to interact with is powerful yeah i always thought it was interesting that hammond seems almost most convinced that the park will work at some point up until his conversation with sattler you know the the ice cream scene you know like he literally says next time we'll do it better 
And yeah. yes. like, it's just... Yes. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Because all the things we were talking about earlier about how... Um, like, all, what if you just changed this? What if you just did that, right? It, they addressed that directly in the movie. And it's... I mean, it's not just him, right? It's not just if you replace Ham- Hammond. It's, it's everything. I just, I, we haven't really talked about it. I just want to shout out Laura Dern in this movie. Like, I love that. Yeah, I love that scene good. where she just breaks down. It's just like, you idiot. Like, you're still <laughs> thinking about this. So, yeah, no, she was great. Also, on, I did not appreciate her death screams. <laughs> I never pegged her as like a scream queen, but she could do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. Also, you know, when, she, when she's in the power room getting attacked by the Velociraptor, the subtitle just yells, God damn. <laughs> 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 just, just this blood curling scream, but she still has the wherewithal to scream, God damn. <laughs> awesome. Awesome stuff. Uh, another Hammond tidbit, because I, I think Hammond's the most interesting character in this film and i i really like gravitate towards him every single time i watch um but one one thing that i noticed um i I don't remember when but um he says in the trailer when he first meets dr grant and sattler uh he says i know my way around a kitchen while rummaging for glasses in the trailer at the dig site um um however he uses normal glasses when you can see champagne glasses (laughs) <laughs> in in the kitchen like they are visible and so like it's just i think it's just another uh, maybe it's not intentional uh, like maybe it's just like they said no, how up, could that not be intentional you know? why would you have more than those glasses on there no it's beautiful stuff yeah it's, uh, <laughs> no just the, the little tiny things i know yeah and so like to me it was always just like he doesn't know his way around the kitchen like he doesn't you know like actually he doesn't know what he's doing you know like, <laughs> it, it's just like another and another compounding factor uh one thing this is another thing i noticed for the first time on this one um when dodgson um so the guy that pays off nedry at the beginning of the movie um he leaves the taxi in san jose and maybe this isn't an easter egg but i just thought it was funny when i watched it this time uh he leaves the taxi in san jose and leaves the door open um and the driver comes around and closes it for him and gives him this really like shit look he's like Come on, man. Like, you know, like he, 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 he looks at him and just like Dodson just being like so like it, obviously he's a character in Dominion. You know, he comes back. Um, but, you know, just just another like corporate guy, greedy, doesn't care about people, just in it for the money. It's just like a, a symbol of this opposing company that comes into play and just, you know, it's just another asshole. You know, I, being rude to people is not a good way to be inconspicuous. I would, I would <laughs> there you go. Well, that's like I, I'm so happy because I've used that like nobody cares meme that Nedry does all the yes. time without really knowing, but knowing that he's the source makes it so much better. But you're right, <laughs> like like all the like you know corporate guys in this movie, like Dodgson's being you know inconspicuous, like don't say my name out loud, but Nedry just calls him out on it. It's so funny. <laughs> I got Dodgson here. Dodgson. <laughs> <laughs> See, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, one thing and going back to hammond here um maybe not maybe not an easter egg but just a weird thing that i noticed it's absolutely insane to me that hammond was there for quote the, for the birth of every creature on this island that's wild that he has that much time on his hands to be there for every <laughs> single birth especially and this is a book thing um they talk about in the book that only like two percent of eggs hatch at, at Jurassic Park. You know, which is wild. That's how, like, poor, not poorly they're doing, like, just to get that many that hatched all is, like, amazing. But um, it just goes to show that, I, I don't know, like, 
he has unrealistic expectations to go along with the fact that he expects to be there for every introductory show like the ride that they go on in the visitor center that he's going to be there for every <laughs> single one you know like this 75 year old man so much. <laughs> it's so funny it's like obviously you would never do that but it's like yeah. like if you thought about it for 10 seconds but he's like convinced that he can be in the room of like to introduce everyone to the park and and play off his uh his doppelgangers on the I, on screen I just, hilarious i feel so bad for him. it's probably uh david attenborough's performance i just feel bad because he just seems like a genuinely like wants to do fun things and for people to have fun but he's just so over in over his head and doesn't isn't aware of it like if it it just hurts me man like i want this guy to just like do something like scale back man like scale back do something easier <laughs> spared no expense <laughs> yeah they, they were really like building the airplane as it's flying in, in, in Jurassic Park. like that's like the perfect like symbol of this but uh, one thing that uh, I knew uh, is that Nedry has a picture of none other than Oppenheimer taped to his computer. Uh, Oppenheimer, of course, being the destroyer of the worlds, the inventor of the nuclear bomb, um, which, you know, in the same way that Nedry is also the downfall of Jurassic Park. A little on the nose if you recognize the picture, but I still appreciate it. <laughs> but an extremely subtle nod at the uh, Christopher Nolan film that would come out 30 <laughs> years later. <laughs> little pseudo-sequel. Yeah, you were like, is that Cillian Murphy on his, <laughs> 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 on his computer? <laughs> I, I, like, I, I thought about that, too, because I, I, I recognized the picture. I was like, that can't be... Like, why? Who would put a picture of Oppenheimer on their shoes? <laughs> like, my idol. <laughs> Only the most insufferable person. <laughs> like, obviously. This is Nedry's biggest crime is, uh, is, uh, is upholding Oppenheimer. Yeah, Ray, Ray Arnold should have spotted that from a mile away and been like, this dude needs to get fired. Like, <laughs> Ray Arnold was more concerned with the trash at his desk and not the guy in Red Earth, the atomic bomb on his chair. But also, it makes no sense because Nedry's like a computer guy. Like, I know. Yeah, a, a nuclear <laughs> like, physicist or he's something. He's not maybe. the one like <laughs> making breakthroughs at this facility either. Like he's like the tech. You know, I, yeah. No, it's making sense. <laughs> I need, yeah, well, I need a know, prequel. He, we need a Nedry prequel. <laughs> this is uh, this is part of his you know hubris, right? Or you know his uh, his extreme you know, self assuredness is that he thinks he can compare himself to Oppenheimer. That he's he's so untouchable that he can pull off some elaborate heist that he's uh, he's pr- um, put together without any consequence. Um, yeah. I know I just want to shout out. I know we've mentioned Nedry a lot. I just want to shout out Wayne Knight. Like, yes, he's so great. I love, he's what, he's one of my favorite, like supporting actors. You don't really see him in the main role, but any, any time I see him, he's always giving a great performance. Yeah. Preach. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's one of the best parts of uh, freaking space jam. <laughs> 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 uh, going back to Joey's con, um, talking about dinosaurs and realism. Um, one thing that has always bugged me uh, as soon as I found it out at a young age is that the T Rex has amazing vision. <laughs> um, the <laughs> T Rex vision being based on movement is a myth popularized by this film. In and and this is where it gets dicey because in reality it actually makes sense because we know that frog DNA, which is used in to help create the dinosaur dna uh frog's vision isn't entirely based on movement but it has a huge 
deal to do with frog vision because they eat insects and so like they need to be able to see the tiniest most minute movements and so frog vision is heavily based on movement but they never explain that in the movie as to why the (laughs) t-rex it's just implied from dr grant's knowledge that the t-rex has movement-based vision when in reality the t-rex actually has vision 13 times better than humans and for context like birds of prey like eagles today have three times better vision than humans so like a t-rex could spot you know like a hadrosaur like you know like miles and miles away off in the horizon like that you know and they have that like forward facing vision as well so if you see a t-rex in the wild don't freeze (laughs) (laughs) amazing i said one of my one of my favorite web comics is uh it shows Barney with a bunch of kids, and he's just like, "Hey, kids, you want to have fun?" And the kids are like, "Stay still, he won't see us." And Barney's <laughs> just like, "Kids, kids." <laughs> uh, what are the uh, kind of? It's kind of a throwaway line from Ray Arnold, and Ray Arnold's another character that I, I kind of wish got a little bit more light that I would love to see in like a you know Jurassic Park documentary series kind of you know to hear his perspective because like he seems to be like the most realistic about like the dangers of the park um he mentions the lysine contingency which makes zero sense like it 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 scientifically doesn't make sense so lysine is an amino acid that we have to get by eating things and but that's true for every living thing on the planet so the, the the fact that like they think it's some amazing thing that they can stop giving the dinosaurs lysine to kill them doesn't make any sense you know it, it's a contingency to stop them from getting off the island because they will no longer be feeding them lysine when in reality they can 100% get lysine from other sources as every single other thing on the planet does <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense whatsoever um and it's just a uh, Maybe more a testament to how many things I've looked up and researched about this movie uh, than anything else, but it's just one one thing. If you hear that, know that it doesn't make any sense. Um, and when you when you listen when you watch the movie again, <laughs> uh, one other thing. Uh, note that i don't know if you guys caught this when you watched it but i i really like the park staff as characters uh muldoon you know uh, up there with arnold as one of the main staff members um i really love the when he is driving the jeep away from the t-rex which is a great scene um i love the last thing that we see in that scene is him turning around after they've lost the rex and he gives a smile like a very dangerous like thrill seeking smile and just like that little smile makes me want to know everything about the him and it also <laughs> alludes to the fact that like he seeks out the raptor to like go and hunt it he doesn't go with ellie to protect her or you know like it it, it was always a weird decision to me that like he separated and tried to hunt the raptor but then like after seeing him escape the rex it felt like it made a lot more sense to me um because he's a thrill seeker you know he is a hunter and he wants he wants the the ultimate game i think that's cool okay well those were some fantastic easter eggs jay and yeah well, well, i had not heard like any of those before and i've i know a lot of jurassic park trivia so <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was very happy to hear those it was awesome 
Well, you're set up next time you go to the bar for a little Jurassic Park trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we'll shift over to Eli. Eli, what cool Easter eggs do you have for us? All right. So I got the coolest fact of all, the most interesting <laughs> one. I did painstaking research and found this out. Sam Neill's full name is Sir Nigel John Dermot Neal. Wow. <laughs> yep. Okay. And, and that really does sound like the name of someone who would finance dinosaur cloning just to go hunt for them for sport on his massive country estate and having trophies above his much too big fireplace while chewing tobacco pipe and drinking scotch. <laughs> That's no. all I got. Wow. <laughs> that is a guy that a, a, stare, a type of guy, an archetype. So where does where does Sam come from in this? I lo- Sir on Nigel Wikipedia, John- his na- Sam is just putting quotation marks in the middle of his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. So unless on wow. his birth certificate there are Sam in quotation marks, I'm <laughs> sure. Like Nigel Neal. <laughs> Nigel Neal. That would be that's, that's like, a cool name. Forever. Yeah. All okay. Right. What about you, Joey? <laughs> can you got you got anything that can top that? No, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say mine anyway. Um so the the iconic scene with the water ripple, um, where like the, the T Rex is stepping and it's creating the ripples in the water. Um the the stunt team or the, the special effects team they used a taut guitar string and ran it through the bottom of the plastic cup and then plucked it to create that effect. It was the only way the ripple effect would be created without entirely disrupting the surface. Because apparently, if you actually just you know hit something like hit the ground hard, it doesn't create this ripple effect. But Spielberg <laughs> was insistent that he wanted it to come on, and it is pretty amazing and ominous and awesome and so to get this effect they had to come up with uh, something um kind of off the wall which is pretty amazing uh, i think about that all the time i think about every time i see the guy with the uh um the ripple you know i think about a guy under the guitar under the the car with a guitar <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible i didn't know that that's awesome <laughs> that's like i love as as great as cgi is getting i will always appreciate just you know macgyvered uh, yes, I know. Cheap practical ways. effects. Yeah. yeah, it's just even like, like the Barbasol like can thing. I feel like every detail of this movie has some sort of st- like story behind it. You know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, awesome. did you guys catch the puppeteer hand mo- moving the Velociraptor no. in the kitchen scene? No. When the when the Velociraptor enters, and I hesitate to include this because it's a mistake. Um, but the, <laughs> the, when the Velociraptor enters the kitchen for the first time, you can see the hand of a puppet operator come and move the tail down. You can see it just uh. just for a second or two. Um, but that was always one thing. I, I don't know. Like I appreciate it because like it's a puppet. Like it's that's a real thing. Um, and yeah, no, I I always appreciate the the. Jay, I would like to retcon all my pros. Jurassic Park is an awful movie. <laughs> yeah, no, the puppets are really amazing. I watched some videos of like behind the scenes, just like screen tests with the raptors, and even with a person standing next to the Velociraptor using a stick to like move its head around, it still looks alive. Yeah. Like it just, it's the the puppetry was was a really oh. nice touch, and it lives up. You know, it still looks real now. Yeah, and I want to shout out sort of the even the not just the Velociraptors and T Rex, but the minor puppets too. Like I'm thinking of the 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 I think it's the raptor that gets born out of the egg. Mm -hmm. Like that's just fantastic. It's just such a this miniature puppet is just so it just looks amazing. And the fact they're like that's the thing that gets lost when you're working with like CGI and stuff is that when they're actually like holding it um, and you know cupping it in its hand, they're they're not faking their reactions. Obviously, the reaction shot to the 
to the Brachiosaurus is incredible, but they're like, like I think it was uh, Joey mentioned that they're not seeing anything there, the actors, but with these puppets, they're actually feeling it. Also, the Triceratops, like, yes, yeah, just like seeing Ellie just caress it and everything. Her or, like, hand when is, he's, like, yeah, he's laying on top of it and it's breathing. Like, <sighs> what is, I mean, that's something I think about. Every time I see that scene, right, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for him to lay on him and have it. <laughs> and it's like, what is that? Like, what? Imagine the the the, the apparatus to, to get that to look right, you know? And it just feels so amazing. Yeah, I. It's so impressive, and the way the dinosaurs interact with the environment too, like running the the T Rex running through that that log, or when all of there's a uh, Jay, you know the name of the dinosaur. The, the the herd of dinosaurs is coming toward them, and they're hiding behind the big mm. like fallen tree, mm-hmm. and it's like moving and pushing the actors around. Amazing stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's I just think this movie really sits amazing. in like this Goldilocks era of like CGI and practical effects, where it yes. had good enough CGI that every like transition from puppet to cgi especially with the raptors it's cohesive to me you know like the only time that i really on this watch through eyeballed the cgi kind of weird was the brachiosaurus at the beginning uh yes and that's where it's like most on display but like when the t-rex switches between cgi and puppet 2 like it just it it works perfectly and i think this movie really sat in just the right era to be able to get the best of both worlds and yeah it's it's incredible and i want to shout out the brachiosaurus cg because if you guys are ever wondering why movies are dark for like no reason it's because to hide the cg to hide like Mm -hmm. the imperfections in the cg so the fact that they they went with the cg brachiosaurus in broad daylight i i really appreciate them just like putting that forward and you know spielberg i know i know they're like we have dinosaurs let's show them off you know it's not like oh uh, i'm worried about whatever it's like the, the fact that this movie displays them so prominently and it still looks so amazing um i mean yeah i'm just uh i'm blown it's away, a boldness honestly. that i appreciate they're not trying to you know spielberg and company. yeah it was a confidence in what they had built mm-hmm. okay so um my turn for cool easter eggs and uh so the first one is something we talked about on our independence day episode but i kind of want to bring it back so during the uh t-rex chase there's a part where dr ian malcolm says must go faster must go faster right yeah and then if you've seen independence day you know the climax of that film david levinson who's played by jeff goldblum also says must go faster must go faster and the the the, like fan theory is that david let like jurassic park is a movie that uh is in the world of independence day because it came out first and david levinson had seen the movie and had gotten you know, he's like i really love this dr ian malcolm character and then he you quoted him during that escape scene even though he's still jeff goldblum uh so i always think about that when i see that scene in uh, jurassic park uh Another thing, uh, so I did go find that little bit of trivia, and I'll, I'll share it with you guys now about the Barbasol. So Cameron Thor, who had previously worked with Steven Spielberg on Hook, was uh, and he initially auditioned for the role of Ian Malcolm before trying out for the role of Dodgson. Uh, Thor said about casting it just said shaving cream can in the script so i spent endless time in a drugstore to find the most photogenic i went with barbasol which ended up in the movie i was so broke that i took the can home after the audition to use it so uh so there you have it the full uh the full context for that one and you know still paying dividends for uh for barbasol, barbasol to this day <laughs> uh, and uh my last cool easter egg uh is 
that earlier we mentioned that we wanted to see more of uh, Arnold, and it turns out that there was actually a lengthy death scene for uh, Samuel Jackson's character uh, where he was like chased and killed by raptors, but the set was destroyed by Hurricane Iniki, uh, so they just canned it i guess so there's wow. your extra portion of the movie jay wow uh, it all could have happened but uh you know a a butterfly flapped its wings in <laughs> central park and a hurricane destroyed the set of Jurassic park in hawaii <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, so there you go yeah one go. thing uh, your ian malcolm fun fact reminded me of this in kong skull island samuel L. jackson's in that movie as well and says hold on to your butts in that movie as well in 2017 <laughs> uh which he says twice in jurassic park and so yeah that reminded me of that well that, that fun fact. that's the one line i always associate with samuel L. jackson <laughs> <laughs> this iconic line hold on to your butts yeah. in movie. not swearing at all <laughs> i mean you guys joke but legitimately that is what i associate with samuel Jackson because of these movies. So, ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that brings us to the end of our cool Easter eggs, and we'll move on to our quotable moments. And our first one comes from Jay. So, Jay, do you want to preempt this with anything? Yeah. So, this is actually from a scene uh, just before the dinner scene, which we've talked about already. This is uh, after the ride. They are talking with Doctor Wu. Um, and Hammond about the process of creating the dinosaurs. John, the kind of control you're attempting is, uh, it's not possible. Listen, if there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but, uh, well, there it is. There it is. You're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will... No, I'm I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Now, obviously, this is the life uh, finds a way quote, which is iconic in itself. But also, I just I love this conversation out of the many conversations that you can love out of this movie because Malcolm so succinctly puts the the what I think is one of the more important messages is that we think that we can control things, but somehow some way life will find a way whether that's with humanity or without humanity life will continue yeah i think this is i mean this is an important part of the story in general right but also as a as we were talking about earlier this um history of evolution or humanity or life in general right is that nothing can really seem to squash it it the how many extinction events or climate disasters or whatever happens um it just uh, it doesn't seem to uh, affect it i mean uh there's some theory that the meteor that destroyed the dinosaurs uh like the uh, the effect that it had or like the the it killed all life on earth in like less than a day like a couple of hours or something like that like the, the impact was so forceful and created such a huge uh, it like problem that it like it wasn't just that it blocked out the sun with ash or anything it like literally vaporized almost everything on the planet and get the it's we're here now you know we're still doing it so it's um <laughs> it's crazy to think about like uh just the kind of veracity of that and who knows what else is out there right i mean 
who knows what kind of alien life forms are currently living in space trying to you know survive or trying to create their own civilization and um that you know we've seen life thrive in almost any environment including where there's no sun right where there's no oxygen and uh, everything we've always assumed about it it seems to be that uh it could be wrong so we just have no idea like what uh what we're dealing with here i think and it's interesting to see um this kind of play of such a big role and to see the the doctors right dr wu and um uh, what's his name hammond just kind of fumble through this and and seem to not take this seriously um yeah i i am a huge fan of of ian malcolm um his his line in the book about how he only wears um black and uh I, I have it. I had it pulled up a second ago. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. It's just hilarious to me, and it it, was, it immediately spoke to me specifically because I um I uh, sort of feel the same way about the things you're talking about. Malcolm said, "I don't want to think about uh, what I will wear in the morning." Truly, can you imagine anything more boring boring than fashion? Professional sports, perhaps. <laughs> grown men swatting little balls while the rest of the world pays money to applaud it. But on the whole, I find fashion even more tedious than sports. Uh, when I read that uh, in the book, when I was, I don't know, uh, nineteen, I was like, "Yeah, this guy's this guy's me." This guy <laughs> I'm gonna start wearing black. <laughs> but I I read a book about chaos theory, um, which was fascinating. Uh, the history of chaos theory. It's so, it's it's amazing because um, before we had chaos theory, before mathematicians had t- truly embraced it, there was this divide between physics and mathematics where. The, they were basically at war with each other, saying, like, mathematics is like, we have this perfect medium, and um, physicists are like, well, it doesn't reflect the real world, so you guys are just kind of playing with numbers. And it turns out that they were both wrong, that there actually is a, like, physical embodiment of, there's a mathematical reason for physical attributes, and it is most, mostly due to chaos, meaning, uh, which means uh, variation, small variations in initial conditions have huge effects later on you can see this um embodied in many different phenomenon including double pendulums have you ever seen those it's like a pendulum on top on, on the, with a, another pendulum underneath of it depending on if you adjust it just a tiny bit one way or another the results are completely different um and can vary wildly um even though they may start off similar they eventually deviate uh, drastically i in that book about chaos they stated that if you had a weather sensor, like measuring temperature and humidity and, and pressure, uh, every square foot on Earth, you would still only be able to predict the weather um, accurately within two months. After that, you would still not know because our instruments and that the conditions are so sensitive. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, I, like I'm, that, that, make, that tracks to me one because like, the weather app's always wrong um but, <laughs> you know also uh yeah no it's just the I, I love the idea of the butterfly effect of the like you know a, a small thing here happens and i also subscribe to the idea that like you know uh, of like the, uh, of like multiple universes of like you know like if i make a decision at this point in my life you know it totally branches off or but also like a small thing of like if i decide like you know, I don't feel like showing up to this podcast today, and like it, it really like changes not only my life but the life of those around me. And then like you know, you have smaller and smaller things, but or it could be major things. You know, like I, I, 
I think that stuff's so interesting. I I I love it. I I just love uh Malcolm as a character too cuz is it, I feel like Jurassic Park wouldn't be as um you know, the ideas wouldn't be so like talked about still if it was just the dinosaur people. He mm. he injects this uh you know, the with the butterfly effect with chaos theory because what's going on on the island is not just limited to dinosaurs. Through our discussion, we've talked about it's applicable to like any sort of scientific advancement. I mean, we, we were talking about uh, AI earlier too, uh, airplanes and things like that. So I think it's such a clever idea, not not just for Crichton, um, you know, writing the book, but also Spielberg to include, um, to include probably the most chaotic actor of all time and Jeff Goldblum to play him. <laughs> but, but, but I think that's why, even though Ian Malcolm's so sidelined, as we talked about halfway through the movie, why we're still talking about him because he's such an interesting part in this movie. He's almost like his own chaos agent <laughs> that just shows up. So, yeah, no, I think, I think this, this quote is very applicable, like seeing how important Ian Malcolm has, is for this movie. I can imagine an like an alternate version of this movie where Dr. Ian Malcolm is more prominently featured in the second half and uh when the T-Rex shows up and bites the raptor he could have been the one to say Qui-Gon Jinn's iconic line uh the, there's always a bigger fish right? there's always <laughs> a bigger dino hilarious <laughs> also side tangent have you guys ever met like a theoretical physicist or mathematician in real life not not that not at a very high level. My brother has an advanced math degree, but it's not like he's not like like a researcher. Yeah, I ran into one in college at a tutor center when I was taking math, and those guys are crazy. Like actually, <laughs> actually, I they're on another level. Like <laughs> I one of my favorite things on YouTube is math videos. Number file the channel number file is incredible. There's so many interesting things in like. Oh man, it's nothing better than just like sitting on the couch and just getting totally absorbed into some crazy like math puzzle that they're like, and then this happens, and you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, yeah, and some of those it has it has some you know some recurring characters, and they're all like wacky in their own way. They're all so very <laughs> eccentric, you know, giant piles of papers on their desks, all sorts of weird toys and manners of speaking. Um, there's a couple where he's gone to like where Brady's gone to like people's house like the guy's houses and it's just like chaotic every everything's like there's like place things everywhere and the guy's like running around with his hair like a mess be like and I'm so glad you're here Brady because I finally have cracked the code (laughs) (laughs) I I, I had a friend in college who was a he took uh, math high level math I don't remember he wasn't like theoretical or anything but he told me the first day of like his highest level math course he was going to take in college, the professor just grabbed a textbook and threw it in the trash and was like, everything you know is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Expensive but effective uh, bit, yeah. Yeah, just this, like <laughs> six foot five Russian guy in like a tweed jacket with a huge hunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's get back to the quotes here. And uh, I think uh, Eli has one for us. Uh, what do you got, Eli? Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, this is sort of one that you know, after the T-Rex chase and the, the groups are separated, this is kind of your uh, 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 Dr. Grant and the kids sort of just chilling out. <laughs> what are you now going to do now if you don't have to pick up dinosaur bones anymore? I don't know, I guess. I guess we'll just have to evolve, too. Uh, so this is my favorite scene in the movie. Um, as much as I love the T-Rex chase, as much as I love all the like bombastic, you know, it, 
scary, you know, wonder and everything. Uh, I always appreciate the quiet moments in movies the most. And I think it was such a genius move for Spielberg to have this scene take place immediately after, you know, all the chaos and, you know, when finally, you know, pops off. I thought this was a very necessary uh, scene to give development for the characters, um, but also give the audience some time to just like, you know, chill out. <laughs> and really, because we just saw the, the dinosaurs and their most terrifying, right? We were being hunted. We were being chased. Death was on, you know, right there. But Spielberg has the has the appreciation to show the, kind of the more beautiful and peaceful side of the dinosaurs. They're not all just these monsters that are hunting us because you know we made we flew too close to the sun. There is some beauty to be found in sort of this you know what is essentially humanity's mistake. You know Hammond's mistake in bringing these creatures back. There's still a beautiful moment to be appreciated. And the exact lines I really love is when you know what are you gonna do now that you know. You can't do this thing that you've loved anymore. And Grant isn't like Hammond, where he's going to put his feet in the dirt and still stand by something that's not working. Uh, Grant has, has the maturity, I think, and the knowledge and to just say, like, we'll figure it out. We'll, elo- we'll evolve to, um, unlike Hammond, who's trying to force feed you know, his dream into the world, Grant is like, we're going to be with like nature and evolve too. And I think that's just a beautiful humanist message. You know, we were talking about a lot of the, you know, cynicism and things and the themes in this movie, but there are still moments of like humanity here. And I really love that line. Um, it shows, well, it's it, symbolically too. Cause in the beginning, Grant is just like no kids. Absolutely not. I don't want any kids. But <laughs> Two things Grant hates are kids and computers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Lex is a computer kid. <laughs> but I just love I just love this scene of like, you know, the kids are in his arms and he just goes, maybe we'll evolve. Because he's evolving right there in front of us. I yeah, of all the scenes in this movie, this is by far and away my favorite. This is I was I was kinda like, you know, watching it and enjoying it, but the T Rex scene obviously was astounding. But I think the moment I was like, Oh, this is actually like a I get why this is such a treasured movie. It was that scene. Okay. Well, I think we've got one last quote. Eli, <laughs> tee it up. Uh, I put this in solely because I have quoted this so many times but had no context for it. I just <laughs> thought it was really funny to say, but now that I know, I need to share it with you all. <laughs> Clever girl. Glad we get to leave in the bone crunching and screaming. And- <laughs> no, because I, I thought uh, there's. I why thought- would you not put that in there? It's right there. <laughs> I, I, Jake and Jake and attest. I've used this quote so many times, not knowing exactly the implications. It's so I frustrating. It was- <laughs> it's been so frustrating for so long. Uh, I, I assumed it was like, oh, the Velociraptor is doing something quirky, and a character said "clever girl." I didn't know it was the last word said about a guy before he gets his entrails ripped out. Uh, no, it wasn't his last words. He screamed incoherently after that, Eli. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, no. I, but but it clearly stays says that. I, yeah. I'm happy that Jay, you brought up the character of Muldoon because I thought he was a really interesting character as well, and the fact that he is this hunter character, you know, his last cognizant, you know, words were an admiration to the prey he was trying to hunt. You know, like you said, he smiled when the T-Rex got away. When the Velociraptor caught him, it was like this, all right, like you won, good game. You know, that's right. such an interesting character. I would have liked a lot more of him. Um, and I also love it because it's a callback. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, when Grant is extreme, he's trying to scare the kid with the, the raptor talon, and it's just like, here's how they hunt. And it's like, 
Oh, we just saw yeah. it. <laughs> oh, and it's so good because the the one that he was looking at, the raptor he was actually like making eye contact with, doesn't join in the frenzy. It stares at it mm-hmm. menacingly. Yeah. Just it, it's it's so cold blooded. I loved that. That was something I didn't notice until this rewatch. I was like, damn, she is sinister the way she just stares watching Muldoon's life end. Yeah, and I think yes, and I think it, finally <laughs> you cut the camera lower and the Velociraptors doing the talents steepled. I will say one thing I like about the movie is that the people who actually know about dinosaurs are the ones who survive. Like all the, the most of the fatalities are the park staff who aren't really there probably for the best reasons. And like you said, Muldoon, he's kind of there because he's the hunter. And like, like Jay mentioned, like he could have went and helped Ellie, but he was just like, no, I got I got a score to settle. And it's like, all right, you, you bit off more than you can chew, buddy. So uh, there's mm. just so many things, you know, this quote that I have memed so much without knowing I'm happy to know. Now and I'm gonna say it even more. I'm gonna say it in even the even more wrong context. <laughs> you created a monster. Jay. Now that I know, I'm gonna be even more er- erroneous. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, my I have an example of that in my life because, like, growing up, I went to a school that was like majority just white kids, and and I'm Mexican, so it's like anytime I would get put in a group project with like one or more other minorities, I would be like, "What is this? The Minority Report?" Oh and, like, no, that is not what that movie. He's about at all. <laughs> but it, it always got to laugh. Wait, wait, he didn't yeah, say what no is one this, else what in is middle this? school had, had seen Minority Report either. <laughs> no, no, he's just said like, what is this? Some kind of Minority Report? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I genuinely thought that movie was about minorities. Um, <laughs> great movie, though, Amazing. still. <laughs> oh, I, when oh, I heard of Minority Report, report i knew ex- exactly it was about future seeing time cops stopping <laughs> like you didn't get that from the title <laughs> <laughs> okay well that is going to bring us to the end of our conversation on jurassic park as we do at the end of every episode of Apple chat we will now deliver our ratings and we'll begin with our guest jay what rating do you want to give to jurassic park i give jurassic park 100 percent pure Dino DNA. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Eli, what rating do you want to give to Jurassic Park? I my rating for Jurassic Park is eight Brachiosaurus size Kleenexes out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm gonna go next. I give Jurassic Park a can of Barbasol trapped in amber. The eternal shaving cream. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Joey, what rating will you be giving to Jurassic Park? God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Dinosaurs start podcasts. All right. Well, I think those are all great ratings and a great way to conclude our conversation about a great film. Uh, Jay and Eli, thank you so much for joining us once again. You guys are podcast regulars over here at Apple Chat, and we love that fact. Uh, So where can the people find y'all? 
Absolutely. So Super Bracket Bros can be found on any of your major podcast platforms. So that's going to be Spotify, Apple, etc. You all just have to type in Super Bracket Bros. We're the only one that exists as of the release of this episode. We'll see if that changes someday. (laughs) Is that a challenge? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, we take fictional characters, put them in a tournament against each other to see just who is the best of the best. Right now, we're getting ready for season five. Uh, It's going to be all thing kaijus, everything big monsters, even bigger than dinosaurs. We're going guys. Godzilla, we're going Mega Dragon Zord. Uh, we're taking Sin from Final Fantasy X. You know, like it, we, we are all across the board here. We have some great contenders. Our very first episode of season five is going to be May 28th. Uh, that's going to be our selection Sunday episode where you can catch up on all of the fighters. You can know their seating going into the tournament. And then from there, we're off to the races. We're switching back from a bi weekly to a weekly schedule uh, for this upcoming season. So we got 16 fighters. We're going to hit hard and fast. And it's going to be about a four month season, meaning that we are super excited to bring you some of the the biggest characters that we've ever talked about on the show <laughs> huge um, yeah absolutely huge so we're, we're really excited and we'd be more than happy if you haven't listened to super bracket bros this is a great this is a great jumping off point um so you don't have to go back and look through catalog back catalog or anything like that and you just start fresh with that sex selection sunday episode may 28th and we'd love to have you I totally agree. This is a great time to get involved. Uh, honestly, to me, Super Bracket Brothers is like an, another sport that I follow. Uh, you know, the season <laughs> is getting started here, so get get a, get acquainted with the competitors and get involved. Um, so once again, thank you, uh, Super Bracket Brothers, for joining us here on Affable Chat. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing Vertigo. Which I have absolutely no context of. So Our I, first I'm, Hitchcock movie. There we go. Mm. So it will be. It'll be my first actual Hitchcock, Hitchcock at all because I've never seen uh, uh, any of his films. So got to get on that if I'm going to be a real movie podcaster. <laughs> you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Applechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at AppleChat, and even our email address, AppleChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then take some of your blood and clone yourself so you can listen to it over and over again. <laughs> And you can ask your clone, have you considered listening to Apple Chat? (laughs) (laughs) That's going to do it for this episode for Apple Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.